Hey, Rip City, this is Jack Winter, your Portland Trailblazers beat writer for Clutch Points, and you are listening to Talking Trailblazers. Thank you so much for coming back this week. We are back after we were off last week because I caught COVID for a second time, though I'm very glad to say that I'm on the mend. Uh, my symptoms have certainly been mitigating over these last few days, um, and I that's certainly because I've, I've, I've taken the vaccine. Um, and I've been boosted twice, so certainly grateful for that. Um, grateful to be getting healthy, but the focus, at least, of this intro for this week's show is just going to be the scourge of gun violence um, that's really nothing new in this country, um, but that has really been thrust into our faces, really to an extent that we've never seen here over these last two weeks, just as I opened my phone right before I came to came to start recording, I was alerted to a, another mass shooting at a hospital in Oklahoma, where at least three are dead. Thoughts are with those people, everyone affected by that. Um, but what's really, really been tough, obviously, for the country, um, and really for the world at large, they, as, as they've seen how our elected leaders, some of our most influential um some of our most influential Americans, how they've reacted uh, to what happened in Uvalde, to what happened in Buffalo 10 days prior. It seems like the white supremacist attack that left 10 people dead in Buffalo on May 14th has been overlooked and almost forgotten. Those people were being buried as uh, children in Uvalde were at risk and 19 of them died. Um, so, it's easy to get swept up in the emotions and uh, the histrionics of all this, especially with regard to Uvalde and police in action, the deception from elected leaders, uh, learning learning more about that every day. Um, but it's just really important. We don't forget those people in Buffalo. We don't forget the people who are affected by gun violence every single day. And it's really, really important that we do all we can um, personally as groups of friends, as families, as communities, uh, to do all we can to stop gun violence and make sure that our elected leaders, whether they're bought by the NRA or not, know that a tide has turned in this country and we cannot go on living our lives like this. Um, thoughts, obviously, with everyone affected by what happened in Buffalo, every, everyone affected by what happened in Uvalde and you know now Tulsa. Um, unfortunately we'll wake up, we'll wake up tomorrow and there'll be another mass shooting. Um, and at this point, all we can do are cr cross our fingers and hope it's, hope it's not happening to us. Hope it's not happening to our loved ones. So make your voice heard, uh, get out and march, do all you can to make sure that our elected leaders know that this cannot stand. It's time for change in this country. And this is just the, uh, this part of the start of what we need. So. Now that we've done that, um, we will move into our regular, uh, regularly uh, scheduled programming for the show. Unfortunately, that means Justice will not be here this week. He is tending to some family matters. All is good with him. No problem. He is just unavailable. So we are going to take a quick break, and then we are going to do it like we did for the first few episodes of this show, just me. So we'll be right back. Thanks for listening to Talking Trailblazers, and we will see you right after the break here. All right, we are back with Talking Trailblazers. This is Jack Winter, where I want to start the show this week, and it's going to be an abbreviated version of the show, uh, not just because of our somber tone at the beginning, but again, because we don't have justice. 
Uh, and Justice has obviously become pretty integral to what we do here at Talking Trailblazers. So what I wanted to do is just go over some news. Um, first, just about the about Joe Cronin filling out his stable of assistant GMs. Then I'll go over some draft news about the Blazers and where my personal big board, my three favorite prospects for the Blazers, should they hang on to that number seven pick. But of course, it's increasingly uh, looking like they won't hold on to the number seven pick. All reporting suggests that the Trailblazers will try to trade out of number seven for an impact player. And we will go over some of those rumors as well. And if you've been following the news, you know what it'll be. They will be concerning, um, those rumors are concerning OG and Anobi. But first, let's talk about Joe Cronin's assistant GMs. Just in the past week, he's named both Mike Schmitz and Sergey Oliva assistant general managers. He now has all three assistant general manager positions filled after after adding Andre Patterson during the season. Uh, specifically, the Mike Schmitz hire is obviously what's going to get people very, very excited. Um, not to take, not to take any, anything away from Oliva, of course, who's uh, really got an impressive resume. He's coming over from the Jazz I mean, he was described by Ben Dowsett. He's a he's a jazz writer as a as a bridge between the basketball and analytics people in that front office. Um, so that certainly alludes to some forward thinking there from from Oliva. Um, that that obviously Joe Cronin is empowering and championing, and that's the type of thing we like to see, uh, especially in contrast to the last front office. Um, but Mike Schmitz is really the big news here. Um, obviously, he's coming over from ESPN, uh, where he where he teamed with Jonathan Jonathan Gavoni to form Draft Express, a really indispensable. Uh, resource for draft Knicks and BA fans alike um, every June leading up to the draft. And that was true even before uh, Draft Express teamed up with ESPN. I think that was a few years ago now. Uh, but Mike Schmitz, obviously one of the most well-respected scouting minds in all of basketball. Um, he is probably most well-known for conducting pre-draft interviews with prospects on ESPN where he'll go over game film and really dig into not just what makes those players special, but um, also the strengths and weaknesses of their game. And they will, and Mike would go over the, Mike would go over that on film with them. So we'd really get a lens into how these players think and how they process the game and just what type of players and people they are. Um, so that was obviously a really indispensable resource and something any, any, anyone interested in the draft would have, would have, uh, certainly would have been worth watching for them. Um, but what's really, really exciting about Mike, of course, is that the Blazers, for the first time since Damian Lillard was drafted, they're picking in the lottery now. And there's been some speculation that uh, at number seven, if the Blazers hang on to this pick, you could go back and read into what Mike Schmidt said about Portland's potential options for the number seven pick before he was announced as a member of the front office. Specifically, I believe he singled out Keegan Murray and Dyson Daniels um, as, as potential fits in Portland, both of whom I like. Um, and it's, it certainly seems like Daniels would be there on the board at number seven. Murray, who knows? Uh, probably not. But I wouldn't read too much into that just because there's so many moving parts with the draft, so many moving parts when it comes to these huge, massive decisions made by front offices. And obviously, Mike Schmitz is not at the head of the front office. That is Joe Cronin. And all reporting indicates the Blazers will look to trade that number seven pick. Of course, that does not mean that Schmitz and Oliva and Andre Patterson and everyone else in the scouting department won't be doing their due diligence leading up to June 23rd. The Blazers could very well trade back in the draft. Um, if, you know, if there's not a deal that they're liking for an impact player, they could add a, add a smaller piece and pick up a first round pick while trading number seven and, you know, perhaps move down to the middle of the draft. That's where Mike Schmitz would come in great handy, of course. But I would not read too much into Schmitz's reports. Um, Schmitz's reports, his intel, his, his analysis about what the Blazers might do um, in the draft before he was hired. I 
You can if you want. It certainly makes for some good fodder, um, but I wouldn't read into it too much, at least if you're trying to get a sense of what Portland will actually do on draft night. But big picture here, it's just more good more good stuff from Joe Cronin. Really, really love the way he's turned around this front office. Um, and with Schmitz, Oliva, and, and, and Patterson, it certainly seems like people around the league are very, very impressed uh, with the way he's uh, – He's, he's, again, built this front office, um, built his front office around himself. I mean, it certainly seems like he's going to allow input from really, really respected guys like Schmitz, Oliva, and Patterson that, frankly, Neil Shea did not. Uh, so that's a breath of fresh air and certainly something that uh, should be a boon for the Blazers for many years going forward. If the Blazers do decide to hang on to the number seven pick and they aren't picking for another team who they've preliminarily agreed uh, to a trade with on draft night, um, then it seems like they'll be considering Dyson Daniels, a combo guard from G League Ignite who hails from Australia. The Blizzards had a, had him in for day one of their pre-draft workouts. I believe that was on Monday, and by all accounts, Daniels showed out. He has been prognosticated as a lottery pick really since before, uh, really since the midway through the G League Ignite's regular season, but he's really been a, a late riser, especially ever since the NBA draft combine when he measured very, very well. Here's the uh, here's the measurements on Dyson Daniels for you. Six, seven and a half in shoes, 195 pounds, six, ten and a half wingspan, and, and an eight, nine standing reach. That makes him basically the size of most small forwards in the NBA, and it would not be, and it there are some there are some wings who play four um, at that size in the NBA. Uh, his, his standing reach, for instance, is not too far away from Nasir Littles, I believe. So Dyson Daniels certainly has awesome size as a combo guard, and that's one of the things you like most about him. He also tested pretty well athletically. He's not a freak athlete by any means, but he's pretty pretty explosive, somewhat sudden. A 34-inch max max vertical, 2.81 second uh, shuttle run, which is actually the best at the combine. Very impressive considering how long he is. And and then he also had a good lane agility time. And that lines up with everything you see on tape with Dyson Daniels as an individual defender specifically. He is a great one-on-one defender with the size to check multiple positions. He's got really, really active hands, quick feet, and just a dogged disposition out there. He's very, very active, um, certainly on the ball, but then off the ball as well. He's an active helper with natural instincts on the defensive side of the ball. And then on the other end, and this is probably where teams have questions about Dyson Daniels. He's a very good decision maker. He makes quick reads with the ball and something Chauncey Billups will really like. Another thing Chauncey Billups will like is that Dyson Daniels really likes to pitch the ball ahead in transition, and he's just always looking for an advantage. Uh, Super smart, composed player, yet makes quick decisions, processes the game really fast. The question for Dyson Daniels is whether or not he can create his own offense. At this point, he's an iffy shooter, just 29% from three. He needs a good passer. He can make simple passes. and somewhat advanced reads, but he's not dicing up the defense like Luka Doncic or LeBron James, obviously. Um, Dyson Daniels is, if he does not necessarily project as a heliocentric, I don't, I don't even need to say necessarily. Dyson Daniels does not project as a, as a heliocentric player offensively, not the type of guy you're going to give the ball to and expect to eventually, if Dyson Daniels reached his potential, um, that he could be the leader of a top five, top 10 offense like Damian Lillard, for instance. So that is why he had for most of the for most of the pre-draft process had been right in the middle of the first round, bottom of the lottery, just because of that 
potential lack of offensive upside. But with the with everything we saw in the playoffs, with what the Blazers need around two small guards like Damian Lillard and Anthony Simons, it would make perfect sense if they added a six seven six eight guard who can play on or off the ball, who's an awesome defender, um, who can guard multiple multiple positions. And who really can make plays for himself and his teammates on offense as a dribble pass shoot guy. Dyson Daniels would just be a great, great fit in Portland. Unfortunately for Dyson Daniels, though, at least in uh, at least if he's listening to this podcast, he still is not my favorite my favorite prospect for the Blazers. That would be Jeremy Sohan, and largely for the same reasons that. I like Daniels so much for the Blazers and why the why the Blazers seem to like Daniels. Sohan is a playoff is a playoff player. He's a 16 game player as Dream, as Draymond Green would say and that's also how Dyson Daniels projects. Uh Sohan of course is just a more more interior oriented version um of the type of player that Dyson Daniels is if you will. Sohan probably a little farther behind offensively, I would say. Um, and then just his defensive upside is higher just because he's got better physical tools. He's longer. He's bigger. He can actually potentially switch one through five. Um, but both of those guys make a lot of sense for the Blazers. And Sohan's probably my favorite player for Portland um, if they happen to stay at number seven. And then the other guy I really like for Portland is Shaden Sharp for reasons that are absolutely obvious. I can't sit here and say that I've watched a lot of tape on Sharp. Um, I've watched some film. I've dug into numbers. I've read articles, I've listened to podcasts, I've tried to do everything I can on him, and there's just not much out there, of course, but um, you can't teach what he has. At 6'5", 6'6", 6'11", wingspan, explosive athlete, and a really, really, really comfortable off-dribble shooter, um, and just getting more and more creative with the way he uh, with the way he creates shots for himself. Um, and then hopefully, you know, the idea is that he'll turn into the type of player who can run an offense, who can uh, really initiate offense for himself and others from the wing. That's what every team in the NBA is looking for. And it helps that Shaden Sharp, of course, has the physical tools to also be a plus defender. So if the Blazers stay at number seven, for me, I like Jeremy Sohan, Dyson Daniels, and Shaden Sharp. I would imagine that Sohan and Daniels will definitely be on the board then. And Sharp, honestly, who knows? He could go as high as four, and then it wouldn't be surprising to me if he went at five or six either. Um, but, you know, there wasn't... Let's just say this. There there was some buzz coming out of his pro day. You can only take so much from pro day. Of course, pro days. Of course, he went one on oh against the chair. Um, and he looked, you know, really explosive, shot the ball well, seemed like he could handle it. But some scouts appeared to be a little dismayed by just how casually he took that process. I'm not the type of guy who's gonna read into something like that, but some scouts and general managers are, especially this high up in the draft and Furthermore, especially with a guy who you just don't know anything about because Shaden Sharp hasn't played a minute of college basketball and really the highest level he's ever played at um, is the 2022, excuse me, 2021 Nike EYBL when he skyrocketed up to the number one prospect in his class. So for me, uh, just to reiterate here, my top three prospects for the Blazers are number seven. I like Sohan. I like Daniels. I like Sharp. Not necessarily in that order. I like Sohan first probably then Sharp, then Daniels, but it really depends on how the Blazers, uh, how I guess Joe Cronin and his three assistant general managers want to build the team from here. And of course, the truth is that all that may be moot because every indication is that the Blazers want to trade out of number seven for an impact player. The latest reporting and Probably the sexiest reporting, frankly, we've had about the Blazers trading number seven is a little little tidbit from Jake Fisher of Bleacher Report about the Blazers' interest in OG and Anobi. 
Oh, sorry, lost a wire there. Um, I'd mentioned I'd, I'd mentioned Ananobi as a potential uh, as a potential trade target for the Weathers in a post at Clutch Points, I believe, last week. Um, I was just, just frankly, I didn't think it was realistic at all. And to be absolutely clear, Fisher's reporting does not indicate that the Toronto Raptors are looking to trade him. In fact, uh, Fisher goes out of his way to note, and I'm just going to read this verbatim, is that perhaps rumors about Ananobi's availability are, are being driven by external interest. Two sources even told him that Ananobi has not directly expressed discontent with the Raptors about his you know, supposedly lagging offensive role behind Fred Van Vliet, behind Pascal Siakam, behind rookie Scotty Barnes. This is all just conjecture at this point um, from league from league personnel um, to Jake Fisher and just league personnel talking amongst themselves. However, Portland has been mentioned as one of Ananobi's two likeliest destinations if he were to be traded. And that's just because, again, the Blazers are the type of team that every decision maker in the league knows needs a wing and knows wants to move number seven. The Utah Jazz were the other team mentioned by Fisher as uh, linked. That's the the direct word that Fisher used, linked by league personnel to OG Ananobi. Now, I absolutely love OG Ananobi. Listeners of this podcast will not be shocked to hear it. Uh, last time on the show with Justice, we I had even mentioned with how much I talk about the value of wings, um, even before the playoffs, I was talking about that. But certainly since the playoffs, that we should make a drinking game for every time I say wing. OG Ananobi is a wing. He can play both the three and four. He's Frankly, arguably one of arguably the best one-on-one defender in basketball. Uh, there's maybe no one in the league more versatile in that respect. He's a truly positionless defender, can guard one through five. Um, with it, there may be a, a defender more versatile one-on-one than OG Ananobi, but there are guys like Marcus Smart, the Defensive Player of the Year, Draymond Green, guys like that. OG Ananobi is an absolute lockdown defender, um, capable of guarding everyone from you know, cat quick point guards to power wings to, you know, even he could, he could even make life hard on Nikola Jokic at times. Uh, that's the suggestion. That's just the type of guy OG Ananobi is. It's six, seven, six, eight with the seven, two, seven, three wingspan and a really chiseled 240 pounds with a thick waist and big legs. He's just a very, very, very impressive physical specimen defensively. Um, and that's obviously what the Blazers need if they're going to be playing Damian Lillard and Anthony Simons a lot together. And then just what every team in the league needs. Every team in the league needs a guy like OG Ananobi. Unfortunately for the Blazers, the Raptors know that. According to Fisher, Toronto would want far more than the number seven pick and Josh Hart if they were to part with Ananobi. And they would even be asking for a higher price than Detroit is for Jeremy Grant, which is supposedly two first round picks and the, or a first round pick and a young player. Uh, regardless, Joe Cronin should do absolutely everything he can to add OG Ananobi to unturn, turn over every stone. Um, just in case Masai Ujiri is interested in, in in moving OG. It certainly doesn't seem like he is. If I were Masai Ujiri, it seems very, very early to move on from a guy like OG who has two awesome years left um, on a bargain deal before, before he has a player option that he'll surely decline. Um, but the Toronto Raptors are in a very good spot right now. They 
dealt with help with health issues all year long, just like so many other teams across the league. But a core of Van Vliet, Siakam, Barnes, Ananobi, and Gary Trent, and then with a with a guy like Precious Achua coming up behind them, uh, that's a that's a very very intriguing group to me, and certainly not one I'd want to break up, especially because if you're going to trade OG Ananobi for number seven and I don't even know what else it would be at this point. Uh, number seven, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks 2025 first rounder, and perhaps Nasir Little, maybe. You would just be immediately looking for OG Ananobi again. And by that, I mean uh, the archetype of OG Ananobi, that, that wing, that 3-4 wing who can defend every single position on the floor, who's a good shooter, uh, who must be guarded. Um, and you know who can contribute in other ways offensively on on, on switches. OG has shown the ability to put smaller defenders in the basket. Uh, that's something that could really help him with the Blazers too, because teams will put their best defenders on Damian Lillard and Anthony Simons, and that's that probably means that a smaller a smaller defender, a point guard, a shooting guard, uh, would be guarding OG Ananobi in this scenario if he was to come to Portland. So OG is not incredible with the ball. In fact, some people were probably a little disappointed in his development as a self as a self created scorer this season. After he really, really flashed during the preseason, uh, where he's where he kind of stretched his limits as a playmaker, as a pick and roll ball handler, as a self creator, um, he just didn't really get to flash that um, once he settled in as being Toronto's fourth option. Um, and to me, that's the role he's likely to play throughout his career. I'm just not sure that Ananobi has the explosive first step or the side to side wiggle with the ball really needed to be anything more than a than a supporting piece offensively um, on a great team. But again, he still has utility on that end um, as, a, as a spot shooter, and he's getting he's getting more versatile with his jumper as well. Um, he's shown some ability to rise up from the mid-range right over the top of, taller def- of smaller defenders. So I certainly wouldn't want to dispense with the idea that OG could get better offensively, but the this notion that he'll develop into a borderline all-star level player, a uh, efficient 20-point scorer, a team's second best offensive option. That just doesn't seem very realistic to me. Um, but again, that does not mean he wouldn't be awesome for the Blazers. He was He's probably my favorite semi-realistic target for Portland. I certainly like him more than Jeremy Grant. Um, he's just better defensively, uh, better certainly better as a one-on-one defender. As help defenders, they're probably around the same. But I also just like how scalable um Ananobi is offensively. He seems a little more comfortable slotting into that tertiary tertiary role or the fourth option um, offensively, uh, certainly more than Grant would be. There's been reporting that Jeremy Grant wants to be a team's second or first option if he were to be tra- if he were to be traded from Detroit. So that's one of the reasons why, why I like OG Ananobi more than Jeremy Grant. And then the other is just that <clears throat> OG Ananobi turns 25. Uh, this July. So if the Blazers were to, were able to bring in a player like OG Ananobi, who not only would make them a lot better next season, um, but then could potentially factor into their post Damian Lillard plans when the Blazers will ostensibly be building around Anthony Simons, then he can kind of bridge that gap between those eras and really help both. So that's one of the reasons why I really like OG. I do not think that it's likely at all that Toronto is, is going to move him. And if they do, I, I just think that the Blazers aren't going to have the, the ballast uh, to, to make a competitive offer. 
the number seven is not if the if the number seven and Josh Hart is not going to be enough, I would assume adding Milwaukee's 2025 first rounder won't be enough either. Considering we know that Giannis will be there and penciling in the Bucks for 50 to 55 wins as long as he's there. That is going to do it for us this week on this abbreviated episode. Justice will be back next week for a lengthier episode, probably a more fun one too. Uh, but regardless, thank you so much for listening to this shorter episode of Talking Trailblazers. I'm Jack Winter. You can follow all my work at Clutch Points, and then I'm on Twitter at Armstrong Winter. Thank you so much. We'll be back next week. See you.